Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Oh, hello, it's Cindy Howes, and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Today we have quite a treat ahead of us, ladies and gentlemen. Taylor Ashton will be on the podcast. Uh, more on him in just a bit, but just a reminder that it is the last peakings of winter. It is a perfect time of year to sport a handmade knitted beanie made by my mom. A basic folk beanie. They are for sale at the website cindyhouse.net. You can see pictures and everything. There's also links to my social media, all of the episodes of Basic Folk, and a place to sign up for the email list, which I'm going to send an email update out pretty soon, sharing all my favorite albums that came out in February, including... Taylor Ashton. You can sign up for that at cindyhouse.net. Taylor Ashton's new album is The Romantic. Clawhammer Banjo Illustrations Canada. Taylor Ashton started his career in the alt-folk band Fish and Bird and has collaborated with musical friends like Courtney Hartman, formerly of Della May. Taylor's debut solo album, like I said, The Romantic, it's out now and filled with sweet banjo grooves and emotional feelings. In the podcast, we talk about growing up in Canada, flying solo on an airplane at a very young age. He would draw on the barf bags to impress the flight attendants, which led him to a lifelong love of illustrating. We talk about moving to New York as an adult and first connecting with the massive city, which was kind of hard at first, but then he found his people there. He connected with Courtney Hartman at a Julian Lodge and Chris Eldridge show. So we get the story behind uh, that encounter. Taylor is a warm and funny person to talk to, and I really enjoyed getting to spend time with him. I love his new record, Beyond Words, and really recommend you catching a live show of his sometime soon. He'll be touring with Aoife O'Donovan, including March 12th at Sanders Theater in Cambridge. If you're interested in that, check out his website. Hope you love this one. He is a special person. We're going to take a listen to a song from his new album, The Romantic, called Nicole. And then we'll get to our conversation with Taylor Ashton on Basic Folk. The smoke I put back into the smokestacks The napkins formed into ancient trees The ice came out of the ocean Oh yeah, and you Coming home to me Nicole And they forgot how to split the atom And the chimpanzees forgot how to fight And they moved back into the water Oh yeah, and you Taylor Ashton. Yes, hello. You are probably the most famous person that has no information on the internet about them. <laughs> well, <laughs> that can't be true. Well, um, so far for me, yes. Okay. Because I, uh, you're That's... you're a well known name in the folk world, but this was a challenge, sir. <laughs> so let's see what we can see. Well, let's add some some information and put it out there. <laughs> okay, great. Um, well, thank you for doing this. Mm-hmm. You grew up in a small community, Maine Island. Is that how you say it? Maine Island is 
actually not where I grew up, um, but it is, it's often uh, my old band, Fish and Bird, that was kind of where we said we were from or based. Um, one of my bandmates that I co-founded that band with mm-hmm. did grow up there. And so that that's, I think, the source of that particular piece okay. of confusion. But I, I grew up in Vancouver. Okay. A um, city, not a, city. a 900-person island. No, a two, two million-ish person and city. That changes every single question I have. But it doesn't. <laughs> um, Vancouver. Okay. What was that like for you growing up in Vancouver? Um, it was great. I mean, it was... Uh, we. My dad and I moved there when I was... I want to say it was six or seven. Um, and then he and I lived in a bunch of different apartments around, around Vancouver. Uh, and Vancouver was a great place to grow up because it seemed like there was always some kind of cultural thing that my dad was able to take me to. And we were able to go on tons of like bike rides and get into the woods pretty easily, which was really awesome growing up. Cool. Yeah. And it was just you and your dad. It was me and my dad. My, my parents split up when I was five and, uh, my mom ended up in Calgary. So I would, I would be there some weekends and then like, you know, spring break and Christmas break and that all and summers. How far are they apart? It was about an hour flight, so and I I did that as an unaccompanied minor, like pretty much right off the bat. Um, At five years old, I think more in the seven kind of range. I would get okay. on the plane with like I had this like big lanyard with a big plastic envelope that said UM on it, and don't steal me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <It's, laughs> I mean, in those days, my dad could take me right to the gate, and then my mom could come t- right to the gate to okay, get me. Yeah. So. Um, I'm sure the flight attendants were yeah, pumped to babysit for an hour. Totally. I'm <laughs> sure that, you know, I think back on, you know, I think I like wet the seat one of the times. Oh. <laughs> probably at the time I was like, what's wrong with me? And I think back and I'm just like, that was probably kind of intense mm. as a kid, you know, just flying by myself. Right. So, it, you know, looking back on it as an adult, I'm like, no wonder you know, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Be kind to your younger self. Yeah, exactly. Um, I definitely had like a move where I would, I would draw on the, on the barf bag as a kid. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Oh, the, the flight attendants are going to be so impressed. And like, they always were cause I was a seven year old and it's like, of course <laughs> you want to be like, wow, that's so cool. And I was like, you know, that was like my idea of socializing. Well, it's, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty interesting. Cause you did, you have, grown to become like a pretty talented illustrator thanks which we can talk about later but um what kind of things were you drawing as a kid on the barf bags well probably pretty similar to the stuff that i draw on barf bags now when i take flights (laughs) it's definitely a lot of um oh gosh it would be amazing to to see you know I, i never kept any of that stuff i would always like you know, the flight attendant would be like, wow, that's so cool. And I'd be like, do you want to have it? And they would be like, okay. <laughs> um, you know, I was I was reading Mad Magazine as a kid, and there's, like, a lot of caricatures. Oh, that's that's a pronunciation that my – it's caricature. I had this fight <laughs> with my dad recently where we were out for dinner with some other people, and, and uh, we were talking about the words that people say wrong. And, like, some – and then, like, ten minutes after that conversation ended, I just happened to say caricature. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was like, where did you get that from? And my dad just happened to be at the table. He's like, I think I might have taught you it was caricature. Anyway, caricatures, So, I, which is funny because I've done so many of them in my life. <laughs> um, but, you know, a lot of, like, exaggerated features and, like, you know, weird juxtapositions and things. I always mm. thought that kind of thing was cool. Cool. Um, okay, so where you you were living in like two different houses, basically. Yeah. Up. Were were they very different when it comes to like, um, you know, consuming art and listening to music? Uh, they were a little different, but I mean, both my parents were were and are into music and and very supportive of me pursuing any kind of creative expression that I. Um, that I could come up with. Definitely my dad was a little bit more, you know, it's it's funny to think that at when I was that age, he was the age that I am now, so he was like kind of like going to shows and he was going to plays and his friends were like in community theater productions and some of his friends were playing 
gigs that I would go to, and it was kind of the, the type of stuff that I would think is cool now. Mm-hmm. Um, were the types of hangs that he was ha- having, like at friends' houses that had like a bunch of records, and they would put things on. Um, and actually, one of the things that my dad would take me to as a kid was this. Uh, he had a friend that was really into making uh, making kind of DIY movie projects, and he would have people over to his apartment and do showings of them. And, like, sometimes I would stay over at this guy's house. It's funny how these details are kind of, like, I don't know how, you know, I, I barely sort of remember how my dad and this guy know each other, but he sort of showed me how to use this, like, animation machine that he had, and that's kind of what I recall from it. So there was, yeah, kind of that type of social situation. Interesting was, adults. Yeah, interesting adults that were... Um, I think that the the moving back and forth between the two cities did it did stunt my friendships a little bit with people my own age because it would be this thing where I would have friends in the school year and then I would come back and I actually moved schools a bunch because we moved around Vancouver a lot so there was I kind of had to start over a few times and then like I would come back from the summer break and I'd been in Calgary where I didn't really know anybody come back to Vancouver and like all my friends had you know two months is kind of a long time mm-hmm. when you're that young. And so they would they would have all these, like, shared memories of, like, crazy things they'd done together during the summer when they were, like, fancy-free. And I'd been, like, you know, kind of on the computer at my mom's house in Calgary in the suburbs and, and like, mostly drawing and, like, doing doing stuff like that. And so it was, yeah, there was a lot of, like, yeah, hanging out with interesting adults and kind of art projects. Mm. Yeah. How do you think that affects your ability to, like, make friends now or connect with people now? I am so... I, I do have kind of a... It's a good question. I didn't realize this was going to be, like, therapy, but... <laughs> We're going there! Yeah. We got rum? Yeah, we got... yeah. In our Peter Mulvey and mugs. Here's a nice clink, yep. Um, you placed the clink in front of the mic. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll make sure it's nice and clear. Um, I mean, I'm very grateful for the friendships that I have. I, for a while after I sort of left home, I was used to moving a lot. And I think it might've just been that, that I was kind of used to like sort of uprooting and, and figuring out what it meant to be somewhere else. So I, after leave, after, um, graduating high school, I moved to Victoria and then I was living in Winnipeg for a couple of years. And then I lived in Toronto for a couple of years and there was like a few weeks that I would spend in various other cities and and I kind of had this like cycle of starting to feel a little bit like I belonged in some certain community in a in a place and then I would have this this weird need to go like I would feel sort of taken away by something else and that's how I ended up in ended up in New York which like for such a transient city I think where like a lot of people will go spend like 3 years in New York they're kind of like excited and then they're done with it and they need to like go somewhere that they can park their car (laughs) and uh you know now I'm I'm married there and that's that seems like the place and it's been like six years so at least six years of living there what was your first instrument was it banjo it was actually trumpet okay tell me about the trumpet well I have this thing where my pinkies don't straighten and they kind of are like the the best they can do is like a 60 degree angle what's that from um I think that I looked it up one time, and I think the term is like possibly like phylodactyly. And it sounds it, like a dinosaur. Yeah, I know, <laughs> which I enjoy. Um, yeah, it has dactyl in it for sure, um, <laughs> and uh, just a great, a great series of letters. All my doctor listeners right now are screaming the name. Like, out. It's not that you're pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> of course they. Um, yeah, and so when the there was kind of the thing at my elementary school where, you know, they said if anyone's interested in joining band, come down and we're going to have a little bit of a, like, demonstration of the different instruments so you can kind of get a sense of what you might like to do. And I was like, saxophone seems cool, flute seems cool. And I went back and uh, I was, like, talking to my dad about it, and he was he just kind of pointed out that there's three valves on a on a trumpet and I have these three fingers that work well. And so, I mean like my, my pinky works fine too, but it doesn't straighten all the way. So it's like, 
you know, now when I watch people play flute, saxophone, piano, violin, and I see them do these things with like these extensions of their pinkies that are, yeah, it's really a really an important kind of thing to have. The, um, so I'm thinking it, of like the clarinet has yep. got some like real, yeah, exactly. And you got to be able to reach and, yeah, and uh, aerobics. And my hands are pretty big, so I have like a bigger spread than some people do between my ring finger and my thumb than they do with their whole hand. But I do think there's something about the force you can, like the fact that your pinky is on that whole other side of your hand and there's kind of like, it means you can kind of put the whole force of your elbow behind it in a way that you can't with your ring finger. That I think is like, you know, like playing like big sort of octaves like stride piano and like that kind of thing is not not really in the cards for me so much. Um, So it was trumpet and then... That was cool. I had a family friend who played trumpet that I really looked up to, uh, and so I thought that was really cool. So he played jazz, and I thought that I thought that was neat. And then there was a substitute band teacher, maybe like a year in, to me playing trumpet and never practicing. <laughs> Cause Dude, I, me too. Because <laughs> who practices the trumpet? Yeah, it's so hard. Bottoms up. I find it so like I think I just would I would go to try and practice, and I would, I mean, I can still pick up a trumpet and I can play a chromatic scale, or I can play Ode to Joy, and that's that's my whole trumpet rep. But my embouchure is not too bad, weirdly. <laughs> you know, I think it's it's a little Dude, better you than... You just said my embouchure is not too bad, and then, like, scratch the back of your yeah. head, like, yeah. Yeah, it's not a terrible embouchure. <laughs> um, but uh, this substitute teacher came in one day, and he said to the whole class... Um, I think it's that thing where substitutes are kind of, you know, they don't know what you're working on, so they kind of fill the time with kind of whatever their deal is. And so he... Uh, they bring all their hopes and dreams yeah. to the classroom. So he's like, who here's heard of the electric bass? And none of us had ever heard of the electric bass. <laughs> I was not aware that the electric bass and the electric guitar were different instruments. And I think I was maybe 12 or 13, something like that. And I just hadn't... Uh, you know, I listened to music and liked it and just wasn't always sure what was making the sounds that I was hearing. And and he, you know, plugged in this electric bass and, and like, played these bass lines. And I was like, that is so cool. And I didn't, he was like, it's got four strings. It's a lot lower than the guitar. And these were all just brand new things to me. I had absolutely no idea what of any of this. And it just blew my mind. And, like, he was the nerdiest guy and... I went home that night and I was, I said to my dad, so have you heard of this thing called the electric bass? And he, and my dad had been in bands when he was, oh, when he, he was, plays as well. Yeah. Um, he, he used to, he, he plays keyboards and, um, he actually was making a lot of electronic music as I, when I was growing up, um, in like reason and fruity loops and, and things like that. Reason is a computer program, right? Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know a lot about that. But for, stuff. it's like, like the computer program from like the eighties. Yeah. So it's like DOS. It's. I mean, definitely now it's like a whole. But my dad is always like he he's always showing me like cool apps on my phone now for like he's like look at this like beat that I made and I'm just like kind of I'm just like this is I have no idea what this stuff is. <laughs> but I mean, he it's 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 inspired me to get into it. Like he's it's the you know, Propellerhead made this app that's that you can kind of make these weird beats and he's he's like, "Look at this little thing I made." And it's like very like little it, to me it's like it sounds like little like alien sounds and the the like percussion is like sound effects and it's like Is it whoa. sound does it sound like the 80s? No. It's like I don't know. It's it's uh I kind of, I kind of don't even know how to describe where it feels like it, where it belongs in. Uh... Yeah, the interesting thing is like the music that my dad was making on his computer, and I was growing up. I don't. Like, he would play me things, and they would have names, and like, they, he would. There would be these specific songs, and they have these forms, but I still can't really. Um, I can't tell you like what it's like. Almost, I guess. I guess it is. A, it, it would. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's it... when when you get home, text me some files. <laughs> yeah, I'll see if I can get him to send me some stuff. I mean, yeah, and he and he and one of his best friends um, made a lot of songs on like a four track tape recorder when they were when they were in college um, and wrote songs. 
But yeah, so when I, I when I came home and I told my dad that I was hell bent on playing the electric bass, he he his response was, "Well, we have an acoustic guitar in the closet, which you can just have, so you don't need to buy anything. Um, so why don't you just check that out first and see see how you feel about that?" And I've talked to him about this since, and he was he he likes to say that his um, his thinking was that he knew that I liked to write, and I would I would be writing these weird little poems. And I think his thought was he fig- he probably figured it was more likely I would end up writing songs if I played the acoustic guitar, which he could be true. He could be right. Um, although a lot of my favorite songwriters are, you know, bass bass players like uh, Paul McCartney and et cetera. Um, but so it's not it's not like it can't be done. But it's definitely true that the guitar is the the more the go-to um, for you for well just for for songwriting yeah, and yeah. definitely for me so that it was it was acoustic guitar for for many years before I did he like sign you up for lessons or did you start just messing around on it what he did do was he sent me he had it was the same family friend who had played trump, played the trumpet um, his uh, his best friend from college that they they made these songs together as uh, as younger adults. I mean, they were still young adults at this, <laughs> the, this time that I'm talking about. But um, we just basically made a schedule of I would go over to his house once a week. And it wasn't exactly, it wasn't music lessons in, the, in a super formal way. It was very kind of like, you know, we would talk about a lot of different things. Um, and he was very, you know, it was cool because, you know, he's someone that knew me since I was a kid. He was kind of definitely in my sort of extended uh, circle of the people that were kind of raising me. And mm-hmm. so he was very, like, there was no sort of agenda of, like, okay, you're here and you're going to get good at specifically, like, the guitar. Because he didn't even play guitar. So my dad had taught me the four guitar chords that he knew. He knew G, C, D, A, and E major and and A minor. Um and so, so he taught me everything he knew, <laughs> and um, and then I would go over to his friend Rodney's place, and we would check different music out. He showed me like Tower of Power and like David Bowie, and like he would like burn me Beatles CDs, and and we would sort of talk about you know the what was going on in the different songs, and so it was very like not very like instructional, so as more of like exploratory, it's immersive. Yeah, and um, and you know I like, you know I wouldn't always show up, and like then when I would go the next week, he would like kind of let me know like yeah, even as a kid, I think I think I was kind of like I'm a kid, like you know I'll go if I want to, <laughs> like that's and then he kind of he's like well if you're gonna if you're gonna come to these you gotta like let me know if you're gonna be here because and so there was like this kind of sense of like. You know, he's like, you kind of have to show up to this as, like, a grown-up. You know, mm-hmm. you can't just, like, not come if you say you're going to come. And uh, and that was, you know, kind of, that was, like, a part of the lesson, you know. Um, and, like, we talked about, like, he was, he's he's really into Buddhism. And he would, like, some of the times we would, we would just talk about Buddhism. and Really? Yeah. And, like, or Zen, specifically Zen Buddhism he was into. Um, and we would talk about, about that. Or, like, he... We'd, we would talk about, like, Robert Crumb, who's, like, a cartoonist that I was mm. really into. and Yeah, so it was this... So that was kind of my... That was, like, the extent of, like, the... It's definitely very informal music yeah. training. Um, and it's funny, because, like, you know, he taught me a lot of stuff that I, I don't even... I never did. <laughs> mm. Like, he was like, here's how to keep a good practice schedule. Make a spreadsheet and, like, check off. When, and, like, I'm horrible at that. Like, I don't... <laughs> And when I think back on it, I'm like, that's such a good idea. I should totally be so much more, uh, it's not my way. There's still time. There, I guess so. That's the, that's the cool thing about <clears throat> life. <laughs> or you could just acknowledge like, oh, that's not my way and then move on. I'm, yeah, that's like, that's, I feel like that's my constant struggle is, <laughs> uh, is, is between, uh, being kind to myself and, and striving to be a cooler, better version of myself, you know? So going back to illustrations mm-hmm. and graphic design. You, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Is there a way uh, that you combined your music and visuals and how maybe drawing impacts your songwriting? Yeah. I mean, when, when I first started a band in high school, um, that was, that definitely kickstarted the learning to play guitar because someone needed to play guitar. So I was like, oh, I got to be the guy who plays guitar and sings. So I need to learn how to do these things. That Buddhist taught me how to keep a spreadsheet. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, but the, before I learned how to do any of that stuff, I, I I designed our album cover, (laughs) which we never recorded an album. (laughs) But to me, that seemed like the first, the most important thing was... This is your band in high school. Yeah. Okay. It's like, we got to have an album cover. And I, like, designed it, and, like, I even put it in a jewel case, and I, like, wrote out the names of songs that I hadn't even written yet. So (laughs) there's kind of that, like, visual experience of music of, like, picking up the album, picking up the CD, and, like, looking at it and taking the book out. And that, like, that that was very a big part of it for me. So, um... I was definitely into them at the same time. And, um, and now I kind of think that I actually kind of set, I kind of set the drawing, the the art stuff down for a few years as I was touring, um, around, you know, starting at like age 19, 20, um, I was touring and, and actually playing proper gigs and all that kind of thing. I, there wasn't as much time to do visual art, although I would do all of the, all of our album covers and I would, you know, design the t-shirts and stuff because that, you know, I would, it would have driven me crazy to have somebody else do it because I would have some vision. Um, and so I would be like, you know, the night before tour, I'd be like screen printing all the t-shirts and be like staying up till five in the morning or whatever <laughs> because I, you know, have poor time management skills. But, um, I would, uh, I was, it was like, that was, that became the outlet was like doing art for the band and kind of when, when Fish and Bird sort of slowed down and became more of like a dormant hiatus-y kind of project <laughs> that, like, you know, still exists. We might play sometime, but definitely not uh, nothing that's nothing that's on the calendar. Um, that was kind of when I sort of turned to visual art as just like a joyful thing again, just as a kind of I sort of pivoted away from being a professional musician for a couple of years and was like, um, just really loving sort of exploring art in, in more of a serious way again. Um, and now there's kind of this balance of like, if I'm in a place of stuck with music and kind of feeling a little frustrated at the, the process of writing or the, or the way that it, you know, that whole thing that can sometimes happen where it feels a little like knotted up, I can kind of turn back to making art uh, in a visual way and it can, and then it kind of pivots back where I'm kind of drawing and then I'm like in a rut where I'm drawing the same face over and over again and that's and really cool to have two outlets like that it works really nicely for me I would definitely recommend it mm. um, and I think I think a lot of people do have that whether whether your two outlets are both kind of like a, a very like art art thing you know if you if you're I know a lot of musicians that that they have some form of exercise that they're super into or like a sport mm-hmm. um, or whatever it is. You know, there's something that's that you can kind of turn to mm-hmm. to just switch your brain into a different mode. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. That if you do something creative mm-hmm. for your profession, you also need some other kind of creative outlet to yeah. balance yourself. And I wonder if it's true that, that that's kind of universal or if there are people that, it just kind of, they wake up and they live and breathe music and they never have to do anything else. Matt Smith. Matt Smith. Yeah. I mean, Matt Smith, hold, he wears so many hats, though, you know? It's like... <laughs> Pro- proved you wrong. Yeah. Um, going back to your illustrations and, like, looking through them, there are just, like, so many cool details. Like, looking through your illustrations is kind of, like listening to one of your songs where you have these like really cool little intricate details Mm. that you're pointing out just in a different medium. Do you see a big similarity between the two of them in, in terms of like your own style? I would, I mean, I, I definitely love that idea. If it's, if, you know, if it comes across that way, I absolutely love that. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think in both in music and in illustration, I am really I find uh, I find juxtaposition really appealing, and I find I really like to sort of evoke something and then kind of turn it on its head, or leave space and like represent things not ex- not always literally. Yeah, so I think you know I'm trying to I'm trying to think of like what are the little tricks that I have in both. In both mediums, and I definitely, you know, I like to make jokes <laughs> in both too, but also have that sort of inserted into something that might be sad or have a little bit more emotional weight. Okay, let's talk about New York City. Yeah, you said you've lived there for six years. Yep. And there's this great quote you had about New York. It says, New York feels like home now, but I saw it represented in so many movies growing up that sometimes I feel like the whole town's a studio backlot, which can be exciting in a way, but lonely too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely the first few years in New York, I was like taking the subway to various things that I had seen in movies, and I just like needed to look at them myself. And uh, I would just, I didn't know anybody who like wanted to do that with me, so I was just doing that by myself. <laughs> um, so hence, I was like, hence being lonely. Yeah. Um, and and this, this whole thing where I kind of would sort of pull up my roots and go to a, a new town previous to moving to New York was always a little easier than it was when I moved to New York. There was, it was a bit more of a like, whoa, like I'm really, like I really have a couple friends here and like they're on the road all the time. And so it's like, <laughs> You know, I was really kind of, if I was going to have a social life, I really had to, like, r- be creative about, like, how I was meeting people and what I was doing. And it kind of, it was definitely, like, definitely shook things up a lot. Um, but in the meantime, New York is so stimulating that I think that helped me kind of get through that mm. that period. When you were in New York... You went to a secret Julian Lodge and Chris Eldred show where you met a very important friend and collaborator. Oh, true. That's right. Yeah, Courtney Hartman. Um, yeah, I was uh, I was just thinking about her today, as I often do. Um, yeah, it, <laughs> here's a funny thing. We both, I took an iPhone recording, like on my voice memos of that show, which I think I heard about it that day. And I think I wasn't even super aware of, like, who they were. And I, I kind of, like, I knew that Chris had um, played in Punch Brothers, but I didn't know who Julian was at the time. And I went and was obviously, like, blown away. And uh, just, like, beautiful instrumental duo guitar music. Like, so. Julian is, like, if you don't, yeah, Chris is in the Punch Brothers, super famous. Yeah. Bluegrassy band. And Julian is, like, this super talented, pretty famous Jazz prodigy, prodigy, yeah. Well, yeah, former prodigy, prodigy, current, Grown just up. incredible <laughs> adult guitar man. Yeah, yeah, who is like so, um, you know, that's definitely the caliber of thing that kind of made me think like, oh, New York is. I definitely want to be somewhere adjacent to this type of energy because mm. um, Julian's good at guitar in a way that I kind of wasn't used to seeing. Like he's good at. He's good at it in such a, like, zoomed-out way. It's not just like, well, you can play a ton of notes. It's like he really knows where to put all the notes. Like, And it's like even if he's playing something really slow, you really get the sense that no matter how far you zoomed into it, the notes would be right exactly where they need to be at the exact um, volume for them to express a, a certain thing. Um, yeah. So the thing with Courtney was I met her there and didn't, Again, it was someone I sort of I didn't I didn't know who she was or what her deal was, but we both had taken these iPhone recordings, and uh, I kind of found out I was like, oh, I recorded that show. I can't wait to go listen to it again. She's like, oh, I recorded it on my my phone too, and I said, oh my gosh, I know what we should do. We have a left and right here, and <laughs> you should send me yours, and then I, I'm gonna make like a stereo recording out of these two uh, voice memos, <laughs> and so that was like I think that was. So I kept like texting Courtney because I was like, "You gotta send me your recording. I'm gonna put them <laughs> together." And like, she like never got back to me. But yeah, like years later, we we uh, got together to jam and then eventually made that record together. 
been on your side. Cool. A couple of years ago. I was reading about um, your song, First of Us, and Courtney mentioned that there's a line in there that says, oh, what a shame for eyes to shut when such things are happening. Mm. And she said those are the world, words of naturalist Richard, how do you say his last name? Prenicky. Prenicky. And she said, Taylor in- introduced me to that documentary film about him, Alone in the Wilderness, which I saw for the first time a little over a year ago, and it's amazing. So good. So can you describe what this documentary is? Okay. I was... Whew, I love it so much. <laughs> I probably watched it 25 times. It's it's just like an hour long. Um, Dick Prenicky went into the Alaskan wilderness with a... You know, it was... I don't remember. I think it's like a Super 8 camera, something in that kind of realm of... This was what year years were this? The eighties or the seventies? Sixties, yeah, I want to say, maybe early seventies, but I think sixties. Um, and he brought he brought tools without handles, and just like a backpack, and he lived in a cabin that was already there. Um, for at first, but while he was doing that, he was like drawing out logs to then make his own cabin and he he found uh, a spot like on this beautiful lake in Alaska and documented himself um, building a cabin completely by hand um, first of all building the handles for the tools like he carved the the handles to stick onto these onto like his chisel and his axe and stuff and then you know, stripping the logs, cutting the notches, and making this log, log cabin, and it's just the the process of him making this thing, and it's just the most beautiful mood of a movie. Like to me, it's the perfect movie because it has no plot. And uh, is he um, narrating? He his words are used to narrate it. The director of it is narrating, mm. and the director has this incredible voice that I love to imitate. Which is like, you know, he'll he'll be like, um, what's a what's a good line? You know, it, it, one of the early lines is, uh, you know, he because he's he he had gone on a trip to this part of Alaska. He's like a, a mechanic in Iowa, and he did this in his fifties, and he's ripped. It's crazy. It's awesome. <laughs> um, and uh, he, so he he goes back, and because he'd spent like he'd spent like a summer there or something, and then he's just like, I, I think I want to live here forever. And so he came back, and he says, uh, it was good to be back in the wilderness again. You know, I was all alone. Nothing, uh, just me and the animals. You know, I had seen... That's pretty good. Yeah. That's really good. I had seen, I've seen this country in the, in the summer and fall, but what about the winter? Would I love the isolation then? You know? <laughs> and, <laughs> That's and, perfect. Yeah, I, I love it so much. Like, I've... I've have listened to it while I'm while I was driving like without the sound without the video because like I can imagine it so well now and there's like beautiful foleying like he's like tapping a door frame in like fit you know fitting it perfectly and it's like this is like which someone obviously did in the studio because I don't think he recorded audio right there. just a super eight yeah yeah so it's like it's this weird thing where it's like it's this like it's this footage that he took and he he's obviously a bit of a you know, it's it's like selfies are now where, like, you kind of, like, you take a picture of yourself sort of looking off to the other way to sort of make it look like someone else took the picture, <laughs> you know? So he sets the camera up on a on a tripod, and then he would walk down a path and then walk back toward the camera to just kind of, to make sure that he was getting a good, <laughs> you know, he's getting a good shot. It's, if you watch it again kind of with that in mind, every shot, if you think, how did they get, how did he get this shot because often he's walking away from the camera or he'll get into his canoe and push off into the lake. He must have come back and turned the camera off. You've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Oh yeah. And I mean, this is, I, I, I'm obsessed with how, how did they make this, which is the, this is why this movie is perfect for me because it shows how he made the cabin and then you get to sort of use a little bit of detective work of like, but how did he make this movie? Um, <laughs> Multi-layered. And it's definitely multi-layered. And, the, you know, the, the the people who put this documentary together, they visited him at various times. And so there's some shots where they kind of, uh, there's a different camera and you can tell it's like a different film quality. And stuff. Right. Yeah. Did you know there's a sequel? I 
did, and I only found it out a few years ago, but I was, like, it was... Not as good. Um, to me, it was, it was, it, uh, I was so happy that there was more that I, I wasn't passing any type of good or bad judgment on it. I loved it fully. Did you see it? I can't remember, but the first one I think is definitely where it's at. For sure. Definitely wouldn't, don't watch the sequel without having watched the first one. Right. And if you are obsessed with the first one, you're, if you're like me, I definitely, I get kind of all in on stuff and then. When, you know, there's like, I'm just, I'm just going to like it, even mm. if it's not as good. You know, there's, there's, I'm kind of, I'll be like, well, I'm on, You're I'm on team alone in the wilderness yeah. and I am just, <laughs> I'm here to support. I'm a super fan. Like I'm going to come to all the shows, <laughs> even if they're drunk. Like, I'm just like, I'm here, you know, I, every, like everything they do is gold. So there's like, there's actually, I think like four of these movies that they made with various footage. Oh, okay. Definitely the best footage, but there's some. Because his brother comes to visit at some point, and they, like, fly around in a biplane together. It's so cute. Should we go watch it now? Definitely. All right. Yeah. Shut this off. Yeah. Another cool thing I read about is that you and Courtney would perform shows at elder care facilities. Yeah. We did that in Colorado. Um, That was uh, part of this thing called Detour. Um, There's this thing called the Music District. Um, that's out of Fort Collins. They have some funding to, um, to help touring bands inject a little bit more of like a meaning beyond just playing shows. I mean, I'm definitely someone who, who thinks that traveling around and, and playing music is, is a worthwhile endeavor. And, um, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not really the type to be like, oh, but what's it all for? Cause I'm kind of like. Making music's important, mm-hmm. and people need it. And um, but they they sort of add this layer of like of being more engaged in the community and kind of doing doing other things while you're touring. So at least at the time that we did it, it was a pretty flexible kind of program where they kind of asked us like, okay, so if you were going to add into your tour some activities that were going to just engage with the community, and that's like a very vague term, what would you want to do? And, you know, there had been another band that had, like, went gone to farms and played for people that kind of can't really go to normal shows because they got to get up so early that it was, doesn't really work. Um, so they would go and play on their farms and kind of bring music to them, and but also learn from them kind of how to do that. And so we would go, we decided that our thing was we wanted to bring music into these elder care facilities. And so we went and did, like, afternoon shows at these um, these residences which were so much fun. Um, and we learned a bunch of songs. We kind of, you know, being aware that that a certain amount of the population was going to be, you know, perhaps people with some amount of memory loss or or just, uh, you know what I mean, like some, that there was going to be some amount of, you know, let's learn some songs that, that are going to be recognizable, um, some, like, older songs. Um, and that was also really fun to do and uh, people really wanted to hear um, John Denver and I learned we I just have, have never sung Whoa. so much John Denver sound like hip hip elders yeah I mean it's you know they're in Colorado like they're they're oh, right, right. they're all really cool Rocky Mountain High yeah and like people you know really really wanted to hear um oh we sang leaving on a jet plane I always cried when we sang leaving on a jet plane I just couldn't couldn't get through it I was just like looking at all of these beautiful older people's faces and like yeah, just couldn't deal. But it was awesome. You said that those experiences helped you recognize this other kind of musical activity that has a completely different goal than the type of music making as musicians were conditioned to aim for. Such sort of like the commerce of being a musician versus like the community. The yeah. Mission. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is definitely that thing where it's like, you know, you got to move some merch and you got to sell some tickets and like engage with your fans and like build get a those fan numbers base get and, those like, numbers get your metrics and like you know follow me on instagram and like blah blah and and uh and like i'm the band and you're my fan and like you know it's like this whole thing which i love being a fan so like i sort of don't i don't i don't mind that that stuff too much but it is um be, you know because i'm so because I like being a fan, I sort of don't mind asking someone to be like, I'm like, would you be my fan? Like, do you like the music? And if they're like, yeah, I'm like, awesome. Great. 
I know I know how fun that is to be a fan. So like, let's mm. do it. Um, but it's like going back to so um, working in radio. Yeah. I've never actually worked at a radio station like this, but there are radio stations like in Alaska and in rural areas where like that's the source of communication. Like if you mm. lose, if you know, they have um, they have like radio programs about like public announcements or like radio shows about like, you know, Jim is selling his washing machine. Yeah. Interested in the washing machine or somebody like loses their dog. Yeah. That like that, like that kind of like, is the original point of radio. Right. So it's cool to be able to, as a musician, to experience, like, the original point of music. Yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> those I mean, people are not going to follow you on Instagram. Nope. <laughs> nope. Definitely not. And uh, and that's cool. It's like the value is just having played music for them. That's it. Yeah. It's it just having made, having just kind of had there be something in there afternoon and like a lot you know yeah it was really it really was rewarding and it was very valuable to have some kind of framework to have some uh some help to make that happen mm. and, and um like i said there was some funding for it and there's that's kind of a it's privately funded um by you know some someone in in colorado that you know has has enough money that they can provide funding for things that they think are important mm. and it's so nice when you hear about people in positions like that where they have the resources to then be like okay well i want there to be like an office in downtown fort collins that's all about how do we how do we just sort of make music more rewarding for everyone and like that's pretty badass that's cool. rather than just like okay great how can i create even more value for my stockholders and like get a, a another home or like make some kind of like flashy donation that makes me look cool even though i'm evil um <laughs> but uh yeah so it and i mean of course obviously i have this positive experience of it because I, I went on this tour and i had a great time um but it was so helpful to have that kind of support and that framework where we said we want to do this and they kind of paired us with somebody who had experience playing in these facilities and uh, her name was uh hannah doreen brown she's a uh, great singer, um, songwriter. And so she kind of helped us plan it out. And it was so rewarding for us to be able to do that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Taylor Ashton, we are going to do something very exciting right now. Uh-oh. It's called the lightning round. Um, you ready? Um, yes. Okay. First song you learned on the guitar. Needle in the Hay by Elliot Smith. Batman or Superman? I don't really care, but Superman. Wow. Karaoke song? Uh, Just the Two of Us by Will Smith. Who do you sing with? Or is it not a duet? Oh, no. Well, I would sing the Just the Two of Us part and then then do the rap where he's talking where he's talking to his, his son. I cannot wait to see that tomorrow night at Club Passim. Oh, yeah. Definitely going to pull that one out. <laughs> Dogs or cats or something else? Um, oh no. Cats, I guess, but I love dogs. I can't, I don't want to choose, but I guess cats. No dogs, no cats. I love them both. <laughs> That's just going to have to be your answer. You spiraled. Okay, yeah. what is your coffee order? Um, Americano Black. First album you bought with your own money? Uh, I think it was In the Airplane Over the Sea by Neutral Milk Hotel. Oh my god, you're such a hipster. <laughs> I learned Elliot Smith on the guitar. It's my first first concert. First concert. Backstreet Boys. I bet it was Raffy. <laughs> that you remember. That I remember. I'm pretty sure I remember it. <laughs> like maybe my first concert as a like I'm a teenager and I like music was like like Radiohead and well, get out of here. Yeah. All right, what was the last Thunderbird Stadium? What was the last book you read? Um, I'm uh, I just reread The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I also read as like a tiny child. Thumbs up. So it's been very nice to revisit. Dream collaboration. Oh gosh. Um, this is so stupid, but I'm just gonna say the band that I'm playing with on tour right now. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I love that. Cat McLeavy and Steve Foster. They're the best. Cool. 
Beatles yeah. or Rolling Stones? Beatles. I gotta uh, say the Beatles. So, if you have a baby, mm-hmm. do you wait to find out what the gender is, or do you find out ahead of time? I think probably, I think because I don't care, I think find out ahead of time because you can and sort of why not, but also I don't care. Got it. Yeah. Flying or invisibility? Flying. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. The next generation. Picard. Yeah. What is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Um... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm a I'm, I'm defi- a well-traveled I'm... individual. Can you say it in the dick voice? The dick pump. What's well, I've, yeah. uh, I've traveled. I can't. I don't know if I can do it when it's not lines that you are like right it. from the movie. Come on. Well, it was good to be back on the on the uh, the western coast of Australia again, all alone, just me and wide swaths of ocean. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I went to I went to Mykonos and I got an Airbnb for two nights one time randomly like at between things, <laughs> and I loved Greece. I mean Mykonos. That's all I haven't been to like Greece, but I went to Mykonos for a couple of days and thought it was so awesome. Awesome, great yeah. answer. All right, you did it. The lightning Woo. round is over. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. For completing the lightning round and for answering all my questions in hey. complete sentences. Hey. my pleasure Basic Folk this week was produced by Laura McCarthy also Adam Corey producer for Basic Folk our business manager is Lindsay Myers Alex Stanton of Townspeople does our music I'm Cindy Howes I host this podcast I'm the one that speaks to you Uh, at the beginning and at the end and uh, sometimes in the middle of the podcast. I appreciate you listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Uh, Rate and subscribe and review uh, and all of that. Buy a beanie. CindyHouse.net is where you can find it all. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.